the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. The Israelites were being prepared to enter the land promised to them. They were reminded to love God with their whole being and to put Him first in every aspect of life. Moses had addressed worshiping God in the new land through their festivals and ceremonies. He encouraged the civil and spiritual leaders to follow God even if they stood alone among their brethren. Now we will see God appoint more cities of refuge and conduct for going to war with other nations as we join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Remember the whole theme of the book of Deuteronomy is loving God supremely. Moses has been, you know, he spends the first part of of this, this is kind of his farewell address to the nation of Israel. As they're going into the land, he can't go with them. Joshua's going to lead them in. In this farewell address, he tells them all that God had done for them, and then he urges them. He says, now you love God back. God has loved you in the everlasting love. He's brought you all this way. Now you love him back. You give him everything. And now we're getting into the part of, of how we show God that we love him and through our obedience to him. And so he is covering now how God's laws will apply once Israel's in the promised land. In the previous chapters, Moses has covered civil and spiritual authorities. We're going to stay in the realm of civil issues tonight, but with a focus on two specific situations. Unintentional death, you kill somebody, but unintentionally, and warfare. Now within these two topics lies another important theme though, the idea that God has more to give Israel than just the promised land. And thus, within these laws, there's a challenge, not just to Israel, but to us. Will Israel, will we love God supremely and experience all that God wants to give us? So chapter 19, we begin in verse 1. He says to them, Now when the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God gives you, and you succeed them, you replace them there, he says, And you dwell in their cities and their houses, you shall separate three cities for you in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you to possess it. You shall prepare you away, divide the coast of your land, which the Lord your God gives you to inherit into three parts, that every slayer may flee thither. Here we see the cities of refuge are addressed here. Moses already set up three and a half cities on the Transjordan, where the two and a half tribes settled, but now he's going to instruct them to set up three more cities of refuge when they enter and conquer the promised land. And I love that because Moses doesn't say if the Lord your God cuts off the nations. He says when the Lord will do it. As far as Moses is concerned, it's a done deal. That God had already said he would do it and therefore it's a done deal. So when God gives you this land and you succeed them, you possess the land that they were in, he says you shall separate these three cities for you in the midst of your land which the Lord gives you. 
And you need to prepare you a way, which means you need to make a road or a path to these cities. It can't be a hard way. It can't be a mountain they have to climb. It needs to be a clear, easy path for them to get there. It says, and divide the coast of your land. In other words, make boundaries for it so that no one will ever build on top of it. You need to make sure that people can get to this city. So who is it that's trying to get to the city and why is it important that they get there? Well, it mentions that the slayer may flee thereby. Now, he mentions you need to split it up into three parts. So they can't put all the cities in the, the three cities in the southern part. So the people, tribes who live in the north have to run all the way down there. They need to put one in the north, one in the central, and one in the south. And that way it's equidistant from wherever you live as an Israelite. If you are the slayer, you can flee there. Now, what's a slayer? I mean, yes, it is a bad 80s band, but that's not what I'm referring to here. Um, the word here means an accidental killer. In other words, someone who kills somebody, but it's not on purpose or with intent. We might call that manslaughter in our culture. Again, Moses set up the first three cities on the other side of Jordan. Those are already here. But now Moses is reminding them when they take the land, don't forget to set up these three. We covered cities of refuge in great detail in Numbers 35. So Moses isn't going to go over everything again. He's only going to summarize it here. So in verse four, he explains in summary why they need three more cities. He said, this is the case of the slayer. This is the person that this law applies to. He says, which shall flee thither that he may live. Whosoever kills his neighbor ignorantly whom he did not hate in time past. If it's not premeditated, the word there ignorantly means without understanding. You didn't plan it out. It's not premeditated. And you didn't hate him in times past, which means there was no malice involved. You didn't intend any harm to this individual at all. And now Moses is going to give us a couple examples in verse five. As when a man goes into the woods with his neighbor to hew wood, to cut down wood, and his hand fetches a stroke. I love the King James. You know, fetches a stroke. I wouldn't say that. When his hand goes to swing the axe and the axe uh, to cut down the the tree and the head of the axe slip from the handle and it lights upon his neighbor and kills him. In other words, you know, you go back and it flies off and kills the guy because it slams into his head that he dies. That's an example of accidental killer. You have no malintent, no premeditation, and it just, it's a mistake. It's an accident. When that happens, it says that he needs to flee unto one of those cities and he can live. Now, why would a man who didn't premeditate the death or had no malice in the kill, why would he have to flee? He's obviously innocent here. Well, verse six, lest the avenger of blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he did not hate him in time past. We don't generally have the concept of revenge killing in our culture. I realize in some subcultures in the West, you know, like a gang culture or something like that, there might be that concept. But we really don't have that in our culture. The whole Hatfield and McCoys thing where you've got a blood feud, a family blood feud going on. But in the Middle East, even today, that can be something that can be, be very challenging to deal with that kind of stuff. Particularly in, in Islam, if that happens in Islam, you are duty-bound to kill the person that killed your family member. And so, of course, the cycle just perpetuates as family member after family member kills each other. This idea of the family's honor that it didn't matter whether it was a mistake or not, you caused their death, and I am now responsible to exact vengeance for it. An interesting word here that's used is the word for avenger of blood. It's all one word in the Hebrew. And it's the same word that we use for the kinsman redeemer. That's the word that was used for Boaz. Remember when Boaz, he is the nearest kinsman. And so he could marry Ruth and he could redeem her and rescue her from poverty so that he could raise up a son for her that would carry on the family name for the family that she married into. So that way, Ruth and Naomi could be cared for for the rest of their lives and pass on the family name. 
Boaz did that. He was not the nearest kinsman, but he performed the, the responsibility of the near kinsman to do that. But it's the same word here. So it's the idea is it's the closest kinsman who's responsible to handle the family business. By the way, this is why I'm to never exact vengeance as a Christian, because the New Testament calls Jesus our kinsman redeemer. He is our goel, is that word. He's our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is now my avenger of blood. So I don't have the right to take vengeance if someone does something to me. He's the one who will right any wrong that's done to me when he comes to judge the world. And so in the New Testament, we have the principle that is given to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, where it says, dearly beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. The word there, it means to stand out of the way while it runs by. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God was never for revenge killing. That's not something that he was okay with. It's not like he had these cities built because he was in favor of that. Israel learned a lot of negative things in Egypt, things that God never taught them, never taught Abraham, never taught Isaac, never taught Jacob, never taught Joseph, never taught the other brothers, but they learned a lot of those things in Egypt, like divorce, like revenge killing. These are things that Moses has to address that are now ingrained in their culture from living 400 years in Egypt, and he has to put boundaries around it because that's just how they did life. One of those things that had become ingrained into their culture was this idea of revenge killing. The thought is, if you put these cities of refuge that are close by, the person who commits the accidental kill, they can flee to this, and that way, while the person's all angry and their blood's in all a lather, and they feel this, I've got a responsibility to fulfill, that the brakes get put on so everybody can chill for a bit, and we can actually look at the facts. And then what you would do is, if you were the near kinsman, you would come to the city of refuge, and you would place your charge and say, that guy's blood is mine because he killed my brother prepared to die. But the court then would examine the information and they would say, listen, this is an accidental death. You have no right to do this. And then he would have to back off. And then that person could live in that city and be fine. And then when the high priest died, he could leave the city and go back to his business. Until then, he needed to stay in the city because, again, that was ingrained in that culture. We should never go back to Deuteronomy to figure out a civil law, like how to run things, because this was designed for a fallen people who didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And that's why we see in the New Testament when Jesus says, well, Moses said this, but I say unto you, and then he goes back to the principle before that. When we cover the issue of marriage and divorce, they said, hey, how come Moses gave us the, the ability to give a writing of divorcement? Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart. <laughs> that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't the the way he wants things. So like, if we want to figure out how to do marriage, if we want to figure out what the Bible says about divorce, we want to figure out what the Bible says about vengeance, we don't go back to Deuteronomy and go, well, they had cities of refuge, so I guess vengeance is okay. We go to the words of Jesus who said, I'm going to take you all the way back to the beginning, the truths that God established, because these were given for the hardness of men's hearts. God put boundaries around it because their hearts were hard, and so this was the boundary that he placed. The reason the way would be too long is, again, if they put them all together, if they only left the three on the other side of the Jordan. So he says, make sure you set these up. What's interesting is that Israel's full promise boundaries were way bigger than the land of Canaan that they're invading right now. When we get to verse 8, we get this new thought. Moses gives them principles for setting up even more cities of refuge in the future if they'll trust the Lord for all that God promised them. Look at verse 8. And if the Lord your God enlarge your coast, as he has sworn unto your fathers, and he give you all the land which he promised to give unto your fathers, and here's the condition how God would do that, if you shall keep all these commandments to do them, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, there it is again, we've been seeing it as a theme all throughout Deuteronomy, and to walk ever in his ways, well then you shall add three cities more for you beside these three. 
the idea was is when God gives them all the land that they were supposed to have, then they would have a total of nine cities of refuge. What is this idea of more land? Well, we go back to Genesis 15, verse 18, the blessing that God pronounced upon Abraham. In Genesis 15, verse 18, it says, and this is when God makes his covenant with Abraham. So this is unchangeable. It's an irreversible, unbreakable covenant because it's given to Abraham, but God makes it with himself. If you read the text, Abraham has this dream. He falls asleep. God tells him, make sure you set up this, this sacrifice, this covenant sacrifice. What they would do back then is they would take an animal and they would kill the animal, offer it to God, and then they would cut the parts in half. And they would take all the parts and they'd line them up, half on this side, half on this side. And the people making the deal would lock arms and they would go through it together. And the idea, you think, that's a weird thing to do. It makes sense. It'll make sense in a minute. The idea is, is after they walk through it, they look at each other and the idea is, if you can put the animal back together, you can go back on your promise. Now, obviously, can you put the animal back together? No. So it's a covenant. It's a real deal covenant. Now, when we read this, Abraham, he's fighting off the birds, whatever, trying to keep them away from the carcasses because they're trying to vulture on it. And in all that, he gets worn out and he falls asleep. And he has this horrible dream of just, you know, all the hard things that are going to happen to his descendants. And then he wakes up and he sees the Lord verse 17, right before the verse. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. So a torch and a lamp, they passed between those pieces. So he sees two members of the Godhead go walking through this thing. And so the idea is who's the covenant with? Who are the parties? It's between God and God. Now, can either fail? So it's an irrevocable covenant. That's why the whole idea that, that, oh, the church is Israel and stuff, that's a bunch of bunk. They can't be because this is an irrevocable promise that God makes to Abraham and to his descendants. That land belongs to Israel and always will. Whether they're in faith or not, it is their land. So he makes this promise to them, and here's the land he promises to him, verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, unto your seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river, what is the river? Euphrates. That's like in Iraq. Yeah, that's the land that God promised to Israel, all the way to the middle of Iraq. God promised that to Abraham. The sad news is Israel never experienced all the land God promised to Abraham, not even under David and Solomon. They had their largest land. They went into much of modern-day Syria under David and Solomon, Lebanon, and large parts of Jordan. Um, They had all that area, but they never got all the way to the Euphrates. They settled for less than God had for them by their disobedience and unbelief. You know, that brings up a good question for us tonight. Have you or I settled spiritually? You know, are we content with just part of the land that God has promised to us? Let's be those who trust God and obey him and experience all that he has for us, amen? What would Israel need to do to experience all God promised? Well, we read it here in verse nine. He says, if you shall keep all of these commandments to do them, which I command you this day, if you'll love the Lord your God and walk ever in his ways, then God will do this. You know, this is everything we've been studying in Deuteronomy. If Israel would love God supremely, the sky was the limit. When you and I enter into God's promises by faith and obedience, that's what it means to love him supremely. We trust him. We're obedient to him. The cool part is you and I don't have to worry that we'll mess them up because we're not perfect. Like Israel, they had that worry. But you and I don't have to worry we're going to mess them up because we're not perfect. Where we look at this and it says, well, if you will keep all the commandments I command you this day, if you'll love the Lord your God and walk ever in his ways, you think, man, I want to do that and I'll try to do that, but I'm probably going to blow it at some point. Here's the cool part for us. Jesus fulfilled all those righteous requirements of the law. So now that I'm clothed in his righteousness, all the promises of God are yes and amen for me. Isn't that awesome? 
That's why our deal is a better deal than Moses gave to Israel. That's why it's called the new covenant. It's a better covenant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, Paul the apostle writing to these guys, and they were thinking about that the old covenant might be better, the whole law stuff might be better. And he says to him, listen, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. And now he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. God, who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. God, to make us know that we're His and we stand fully in Him and all of His promises are yes and amen, He's given us His Spirit in our hearts so we can know that I am my beloved's and He is mine. This is the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is an entire letter that shows how our deal with God is better than the one that Moses gave to Israel. The deal Jesus gives us is better than the deal Moses gave Israel. So don't let anyone ever try to put you back under the law. Enter into all that Christ has given you through the cross. Now we move here to verse 10 and we see why these cities were so important. Verse 10, Moses says, why do you need to set these cities up? That innocent blood be not shed in your land, which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance, and so blood be upon you. People complain that God has done nothing to stop violence, but God has the deepest hatred possible for violence. We see the news and we get angry about the violent things that people perpetrate on one another or the threats we see or the horrible things that people do to their fellow man. I don't know about you, I've never heard the blood-stained land crying out in horror for justice. God does. God does. When God came to Cain and he said, hey, where's your brother? And Cain, of course, replied, am I my brother's keeper? What, am I supposed to follow him around wherever he goes? And the Lord says, Cain, can your brother's blood is crying out to me, crying out to me for what you've done. Can you imagine what it would like to be the Lord to hear all the cries from all the violence that let alone this whole world that's just in our own nation? All the horrible, hateful things that are said by people, the horrible, hateful, violent things that are done by people just in our nation? Not a single drop of innocent blood that's shed goes unnoticed by our Heavenly Father. And so innocent death and violent crime, they store up God's wrath upon a people. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, verses 11 through 15, that God, he is going to take vengeance upon those who destroy the earth, those who commit violence in the land. It says that in that day that the nations are angry because your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should give reward unto your servants, the prophets, and to the saints and them that fear your name, small and great, and that you should destroy them which have destroyed the earth. God will take vengeance upon those who do violence upon the earth. There are two ways to mitigate God's anger for violence and for violent crime. First is you need to protect the innocent. That's why these cities of refuge were set up to protect the innocent. But second, you have to deal with the guilty. Look at verse 11. But if any man hate his neighbor, and he does lie in wait for him, the word there means to lay in ambush, so it's premeditated. He hates his neighbor, so there's malice. He lies in wait, it's premeditated. If that happens, and he rise up against him and smite him mortally that he die, and he flees into one of these cities, the cities of refuge, then the elders of his city, his own city, they need to deal with him. They shall send and fetch him from there. No, 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 he, doesn't, he shouldn't stay there. He did this with premeditation. He did this with malice. You send him back to us. And they should deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, the near kinsman, that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you. 
The civil leaders in his hometown, they have a responsibility to say, send him back to us and we will deal with him. He says, your eyes shall not pity him. That doesn't mean you don't feel bad for his death and the fact that you're taking his life for the life that he took. The word there to show no pity, it means don't spare him. In other words, feeling compassion for the wicked isn't bad, but you can't let them get away with it. I'll be frank, I I could not be an executioner. That's why I could never join the military. I realize that the war is necessary at times. I realize that self-defense is necessary. I don't know if it was an actual person, but we had to have the police come out to our house this week because we heard somebody banging on the door. Might have been an animal, I don't know, but definitely freaks you out when you're woken up in the middle of the night and the doorknobs jiggling and stuff like that. Looks like somebody's trying to break in. I was ready to do harm to the individual if they were going to stick around, okay? I get that, but I don't know if I could do it to someone who is, you know, can't fight back or wasn't a threat to me personally. But the Bible says that those who are the civil leaders, they need to have the guts to do that. Because if they don't, and you don't deal with it, he goes, I'm going to require that innocent blood at your hands. I know that's not a popular concept in our Western culture today. But that's what the Bible says. Capital punishment is something that God initiated, not something that man initiated. Man initiated violence, and God raised up civil government to deal with men who were violent, to put them to death so they could not commit violence upon people anymore. How much innocent blood does our country spill between abortion and violent crime? We are storing up God's wrath by doing nothing about it. We are. The problem is that sometimes as Christians, we hear that and we get angry and we say, it's my job to fix it. It's not your job to fix it. It's the civil government's job to fix it. It's our job to do our best to put civil leaders in charge who will do something about it. And that is why those issues are very important to me. People have asked me, and they say, you, you Christians, you're, just, you're like one-issue voters. All you do is care about abortion. And I've always put it this way. Being pro-life doesn't mean you get my vote. But being pro-choice means you will never get my vote. I don't know any way in my conscience I could give it to you. Now, that doesn't mean the pro-life person is a good person. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to say one party's good and the other party's bad. And if you're one party, then you're bad. And so get out. That's not what I'm saying tonight. But there are certain issues that are important enough that in good conscience, as Christians, you cannot say, I'm for that person. That is why, to me, our current president is so disdainful to me. He is so vile in his communication and in his conduct. I respect the office, but that is not the type of leader that we need. Now, I know that's offensive to a whole other group of people. I'm ready to step on all sorts of toes tonight. We need to get back to what is important, because if we continue to just elect with our pocketbook as the one we're doing, or our patriotism, or the idea of the United States of America and what's great, and not about what is righteousness, then we are storing up wrath, the wrath of God. And as someone said a long time ago, that the Lord is going to have to apologize to a lot of other cities that he destroyed if he were to let us just continue going on. My encouragement to you is pray for our country. Share truth with people. Elect righteous men and women. That is our job. And as we do so, maybe we can mitigate the wrath of God. Just as Israel, if they did this, they would mitigate the wrath of God upon their land. With all this talk of expanding borders, Moses reminds people here in verse 14 not to mess with any already established inheritance borders. When you give a land to a family, you don't mess with that as your borders expand. Verse 14, he says, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in your inheritance, which you shall inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess it. You shall not remove means don't displace or take away. Now, we, of course, we have our our fancy construction things, right? The architect maps, there's a specific word and that's dropped out of my mind. Those things, yeah. And you know, when I bought my home, they gave one to me in the big, huge, massive book they call your, you know, your mortgage paperwork, whatever. After you sign all the paperwork, you can't use your hand anymore. 
they gave it to us and it had my plot there, my plot. This is my plot. You know, and we discovered on our first home that our neighbor was like three inches on our plot and I, I sued him. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do any of that. But learn what your land is. They didn't have anything like that back then. So they would have these landmarks, these like stones or certain things that would stick out. And that's how they would determine what was the borders of their land. So if you were kind of looking and going, man, he's got this land and they'd really, the crops just come out of there really well. And you know, I don't see why I got the land. I got the rocky land. And you know, my, my cows don't like the grass as much. So they don't live as long as his cows. You couldn't come out in the middle of the night, you know, and your sons and go move the big old rock and be like, <laughs> move it over and then come out the next day like hey neighbor (laughs) you couldn't do that you weren't allowed to do that and so with all this talk of expanding borders he says make sure you respect the existing borders that are there now one of the challenges that the church has faced over the years is how do we take god's truths into new territory how do we do that with new technology with changing culture is it okay to move the boundaries that god has established in the past the consistent teaching of scripture is no Yet culture changes, yet technology changes, but God's principles, God's commands, they do not change. Never mess with God's clearly established truths. Is it okay to use drums in worship? Well, yeah, the Bible doesn't say otherwise. But is it okay to sing songs to Dagon or Mammon or anybody else? The obvious answer is no. So we will not be singing any Sinatra this week or next week. Never mess with God's clearly established truths, even if others accuse you of being outdated, simple-minded, or old-fashioned. God does want to expand our borders, which means we need to step out in faith into new territory. But we need to always do so with the foundation of revealed truth. Our God is not like any other. He never changes. He is a defender for the innocent and judge to the guilty. God judges in perfect righteousness and truth. The beauty of it all is that God is merciful as well. Even though we are deserving of judgment and death, God sent his son in our place to pay the penalty for a debt he did not owe. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.